Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging, maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. Turn your attention today to Acts chapter 9. So good to see everyone in the house of the Lord. This is his house. I'm preaching today intentionally based on what I feel the Lord would have me to speak. And it comes again after preaching about the Holy Ghost. Last week, preaching the gospel. Aren't we thankful for eight baptized and many filled and refilled with the gift of the Holy Ghost? Are we thankful for that? Somebody just say amen. And I feel directed by the Lord to preach today about that power that was spoken by the Lord Jesus that was to come through the Holy Ghost. And I want to skip forward eight chapters from that Acts 1 proclamation and seven chapters from that Acts 2 outpouring and preaching from Simon Peter that we preached from last week. And I want to read verses 1 through 5, very familiar to some, not as familiar to others, but very important for us here today. And Saul, verse 1 says, Yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Now, everybody in this room knows there was a high priest that was higher than that high priest. But he went to the high priest there and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that he, if he found any of this way, any believers, whether they were men or women, everybody say men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. I draw my assignment today from the second verse of our reading, and I would preach to you on this thought, letters to Damascus. Letters to Damascus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for our time together in your house. I pray that you would help me to preach with wisdom and with clarity under your anointing. I pray that our hearts, our minds would be ready to receive. Our mouths would be given to amens. Our hands would be given to clapping. Our spirits would be given to encouragement. Let it be done that the body might be strengthened, might be edified for the sake of your kingdom. And let everybody say amen. And you may be seated here today. 
How many know that a effective weapon in the wrong hands is a dangerous thing? A weapon that works well in the wrong hands is a dangerous and even a deadly thing. The reason I bring this up is because often when we preach from Acts 2 like we did last week in John 3 and Acts 2, we often go to a prophet by the name of Joel that is preached about. How many know that Joel had prophesied that in the last days there would be an outpouring of his spirit? It would be on sons and daughters. It'd be on handmaids and servants. There would be an outpouring that would affect young men and old. Everybody would be affected. And often while we preach about Pentecost, we preach about Joel. But there is another major player of the Old Testament that is mentioned here in the preaching of Peter in Acts chapter 2. While we preach about Joel because Peter preached about Joel, we also should be preaching about another key figure by the name of David. Everybody say David. David is that King David of the Old Testament, but he did not start out as a king. He started out as a young shepherd boy. And because he found favor in the sight of the Lord, his heart was after the things of God, even in his writing, like Psalm 91, Psalm 42. He, he would make reference and acknowledge his desire to be in the secret place or in the shadow of God. Or in Psalm 42, where he would pen, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. And he was used and he was raised. And hear me well, hear me clear here today. David would be that young shepherd boy who with a sling and a stone would walk into that meadow to face that giant that was in persecution against the people of God. Hear me please today. There always have been and there always will be enemies to the people of God. Amen. And there were enemies that day but they were represented by an enemy named Goliath. But we believe this text and so we believe in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that while the Bible says Goliath came with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, David came to him in the name of the Lord of hosts of Israel. He, he came with a sling and a stone and while he looked outmatched, he was not out God. He came in the name of the Lord and as he allowed that stone to fly, it found itself sinking into the forehead of that giant. It was uh, David's practice and ability mixed with God's divine favor. And when Goliath fell to the ground, what did David do? He went and he pulled that sword from the sheath of Goliath as he lay there. He lay there, but he's still alive. And so he takes takes that sword from Goliath and he takes off the head. It's from this moment that the ladies, Brother Hussey, would begin to sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. I speak this to remind you that while that 
sword in the hand of Goliath would have been danger to the people of God. That sword in the hands of David became danger to the enemies of God. And as Peter is preaching in Acts 2, he said, you better remember the prophet Joel. But he calls David a prophet, not just a king. And says, you better remember the prophet David, who had already prophesied that there was one coming, that Christ was to come. This Jesus whom you persecuted is both Lord and Christ. And so I tell you that while I preach about that sword changing hands from Goliath to the hands of David, today I want to preach about a man by the name of Saul who we more affectionately refer to as Paul who was used skillfully in the hands of the enemy but he was taken from the hands of the enemy and he was put into the hands of God and while he was the same effective weapon that could be used for either side thank God the Lord gave him a dramatic revelation and got him out of the works against the kingdom of God and got a revelation so great that brought him into the works for the kingdom of God. I take occasion before I even get to preaching my message real good here today to tell you God can still reveal himself to anybody, anytime, anywhere. I said anybody, anytime, anywhere, from the back alley to the penthouse, from the least job in Indianapolis to the greatest of jobs, whether they make no money at all or they have the largest salary of anybody in the city, when God reveals himself, there is no addiction too strong, no There is no torment too great. There is no tradition of thinking. Saul was not dealing with the addiction of substance. He was dealing with the addiction of tradition. He was dealing with the addiction of what he had been taught and what he believed to be correct and the schooling that he had uh, had given into his heart and into his mind. But when Jesus got a hold of him and when Jesus revealed himself to him, it didn't matter what he thought was right. He said, Who art thou, Lord? And Jesus spoke from heaven and said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. I tell you what we need in Indianapolis. We need a divine revelation that it's Jesus being the answer for every home, for every man, for every woman from the most traditional to the least traditional from the high rise to the lowest back alley. We need a revelation that it's Jesus it's Jesus it's Jesus that is the answer Elbow your neighbor and tell them Jesus is the answer. He's the answer for our children. He's the answer for our young adults. He's the answer for our junior high and our senior high. He's the answer for our elders that are here and those that are watching from the nursing home. He's the answer whether we're doing service downtown or whether we're doing service in this church. He's the answer for the churches in Greenwood. He's the answer for the churches in Plainfield. He's the answer for the churches in Carmel. He's the answer. He is the answer. And ladies and gentlemen, while I'm thankful for counseling, we need the wonderful counselor to reveal himself in this day and age. We've got an entire generation that doesn't know who they are. The church better know who we are. Come on, I'm going to say that again. We've got an entire generation being fooled into believing they don't know who we are. And
and the devil doesn't want us to know who we are but we know who we are we have a revelation of the mighty God in Christ there is none like him there is none beside him he is Jesus he is God manifest in the flesh amen the Holy Ghost was going to be poured out. And upon that revelation, Jesus said, Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We talked about this a little last week. And so help me take it forward just a little bit. With that power, ye shall be what? Witnesses unto yourselves. No. Not a witness unto yourself, unto how good you are since you got God. Your testimony is not about you. It's about what God did through you and what God has done in you. There's a lot of people in this room and a lot of people in this city that God has done miraculous things that can acknowledge. Had it not been for the Lord on my side, there's no telling where I would be. He said, you shall be witnesses unto me. My question to the congregation is where? In where? Both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and? Don't you feel like he just covered it all with that last part? Our danger as Western thinkers is that the uttermost is there when actually the uttermost is here. Do you know what a miracle it is that here in the United States of America we know who Jesus is? Do you know what a miracle it is that last week right here at 902 Fletcher we had eight that were baptized in his name and many that were filled and refilled? I don't want to take for granted that somebody got the gospel to the uttermost and got it into every city and every nation. Thank you for getting it to us, oh God. He said, you're going to have power. Brother Watkins, he said, that power is going to make you a witness for me everywhere, everywhere. That's the good part. Part of this leads them into Acts chapter 2 that we preached about last week and the power of the promise that comes with that. It's when in that preaching that Peter begins to preach about Joel and Peter begins to preach about David and then tells them this same Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And there becomes an explosive revival that begins on the day of Pentecost. And it stretches forward to where some theologians and commentaries would tell you and tell me that the church in Jerusalem grew to some 80,000 people. Woo! I would like to know that right here in Indianapolis were some 80,000 plus believers that Jesus is the mighty God that you can repent of your sins that you can be buried in his name that you can be filled with his spirit I'd love to have that kind of revival here in Indianapolis but I'm going to go on record and tell you that's why we don't just pray for our church we pray for our neighboring pastors we pray for brother Sims and we pray for brother Long and we we pray for Brother Oliver Tony Oliver and Dan Oliver we pray for brother Sizemore we 
Why do we pray? We pray because if we're going to have the right kind of revival that God wants us to have, it's got to be bigger than one location, greater than one set of seats, bigger than one church that's doing multiple services. Come on, we need every church to be in multiple services, and we need churches to be planning churches. We need our churches to be healthy. We need them to be full of people, and we need them to be full of the Spirit. We need them to be full of people, and we need them to be full of the Spirit. While we're celebrating fall break, we are living in a city that's looking for an addiction break, and an oppression break, and a depression break. And we rise unabashedly to say, we know the answer. The answer is the Spirit of God. The answer is the power of the Holy Ghost. And I bear witness of that. Come on, if you bear witness of the power of the Holy Ghost, you ought to throw your hands towards heaven and say, I am a witness. Come on, from the youngest to the oldest. Brother Trano, it's for you. But Pop, it's also for you. It's for young Brother Trano and for elder Brother Trano. And wherever Marco's at, it's for his... Come on, it's not just for the preachers. It's not just for the men. It's not just for the women. It's not just for the elders. It's not just for the youth. It's for every believer full of his his spirit. You're meant to be a witness. A witness. We got people even all over our church that spent their week analyzing whether the Colts could win their next game. And spent more time considering whether or not the, the Colts could get yards than the church. I'm not against, I'm not preaching against, well, I am preaching against anything that becomes an idol. I am preaching against anything that gets my focus more than the kingdom of God and advancing the kingdom of God. Celebrate your team, but celebrate your king more than you celebrate your team. Acknowledge. Why do we come to church with our minds made up? Because we've been thinking about it all week. We've been strategizing about it all week. I bet somebody's going to get baptized today just like they did before this service. I bet somebody's going to get baptized. I bet somebody's going to get the Holy Ghost. I bet somebody's life's going to be turned around. I bet somebody that was on their way to hell is going to get things turned around and on their way to heaven. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, this is not a game. There's persecution against the church, but there is also great power in the church. I know there might be some souls against us, but there is a God that is for us. Woo! Look at somebody, make eye contact, and tell them, the Lord is for you. They were having such good church at Jerusalem that it grew to some 80,000. That's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with good church. You listen to me. There's nothing wrong with good church. We ought to have good church. Uh Uh-huh. We ought to have good church. I like good church. What do I mean? In case you're worried about how I'm defining it. I like people coming together and singing about the name of Jesus. I like hand clapping. I like aisle running. I like toe tapping. I like good church. I like when people run the aisles. I like when people stay in their pew. I, it's the truth. If everybody's running, it's going to get dangerous. But if nobody's running, it's just as dangerous. 
If everybody's going crazy, it might get, wow. But if nobody's, come on now. And so we need the eclectic nature of the church where everybody can be themselves. But I do not believe in dead church. I believe people whose lives have been turned around should come together with the body and we can have miracles and signs and wonders follow believers. I stood in this, I stood in this very altar in our last service where someone we've been praying for with cancer had the biggest smile. They were weeping a week ago in the same spot and they came to me with the biggest smile on their face and said they told me about all those cancer cells and all of that report but I went back this week and the doctor said I'm not quite sure how but every cancer cell in your body is dormant and you don't have anything that's active. I'm speaking to somebody in this place you better hear me right now miracles and signs and wonders follow us as believers we don't chase them they chase us because we got power in this body. We are not a weak body. We are a powerful body. We are not an apathetic body. We are a powerful body. We are not a mediocre church. We are a powerful church. And I know, I know, I know it's good to have good church, but we can't just have good church here. And that's what they were doing. 80,000 is a good church. The only problem was that Acts 1-8, Brother Drew, was to be about more than Jerusalem. He said, I'll get you going at Jerusalem, but you better get going out of Jerusalem. But it's hard when you mess with the church. You mess with tradition. You mess with comfortability. It's hard. You know why? Because we're human. And great persecution arose against the church. Because while there was great revival in and amongst the believers and people were being converted daily. How many know he added to the church daily according to the scripture? Added to the church daily. And that is the will of God. If you want to know the heartbeat of this pastor, that's why I've told you I look forward to the day when we have services available every single day of the week. Every day of the week. Why? I want anybody anywhere in this city to be able to say, oh, you, you work so you can't go to church on Sunday? Guess what? We've got a Monday service for you. Guess what? we got a Tuesday opportunity for you. we got a Wednesday opportunity for you. Hey, I think we can take the excuses out if we will get intense and intentional about the kingdom of God. Anybody that thinks God only fills people on Sunday, you're sorely mistaken. He can fill people with his spirit, anybody, anytime, anywhere. And that's what we want to be a part of. And they were having such good church in Jerusalem that persecution rose up against them. And while this is hard to hear, I tell you it is true all the same. The Lord allowed the martyrdom of Stephen. For anybody that isn't to that place that you think bad things can happen to good people. How many knew bad things do happen to good people? He was spreading the gospel. He was preaching Jesus. And Brother Ross said his preaching of Jesus, they rose up against him. They rose up against him with murmurings and complaints. And the stronger they murmured, the stronger he preached. Boy, we need a revival of that in this hour. We need some of our traditional pulpits to awaken. The more they murmur, the stronger we preach. Here's what I would submit, though. 
I think had Stephen been told unequivocally, if you keep preaching like this, it's going to cost you your life. You're going to die. I think Stephen had his mind so resolutely determined to further the kingdom of God that he would have walked himself to the place and say, I'll preach here until I die. And at the persecution of Stephen, there was going to be this revival that went not just from Jerusalem, but it began to disperse and begin to move. Now, not just at Jerusalem, but according to Acts 1-8, in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And we are picking up the story in our opening text in a place called Damascus. Acts chapter 9, only two chapters removed from the martyrdom of Stephen where Saul himself is recorded at the end of that chapter. The young man Saul had the coats that were laid at his feet and then here in Acts chapter 9 he is breathing out threatenings. He's against the church. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what it looked like. I'm not sure exactly how it formed. But Damascus was not close to Jerusalem. Hear me now. 136 miles away. But when that persecution had hit Jerusalem, sometime in the past it probably had started as a little trail. I don't know. Maybe it turned into uh, from a trail into something more substantive. But somehow from a, a trail where some animals were walked, maybe by a shepherd or by a, a young child or a family that was caravan trying to get from Jerusalem to a lesser city of Damascus. This trail had turned into a more well-worn path. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 9, this trail turned path has now become a road. And when this persecution of the church took place in Acts 7 and they begin to disperse, they got on that road from Jerusalem. They either went out the north side or they went out the south side. Now, not everyone went to Damascus, but we know that there was a revival that had broken out in Damascus. There was a church that had begun to thrive in Damascus. How do we know that, Pastor Carson? Because Saul said, there's people there. Now, I would submit to you here today something that everybody in the room needs to catch. I think that the Lord allowed Saul to be a part of the Jerusalem persecution against Stephen, but Saul was not going to get into Damascus. He allowed him to be enough of a mess. He allowed him to be a sword in the hands of the other enemy. He allowed him to be a tool against the church up until he decided he was going to mess with the prophetic promise that revival was going to be poured out. And while he is just short of Damascus, how many know that there was a bright light that came out of the heavens above the brightness of the sun? He was knocked to the ground. And we read about this dialogue between Saul and the Lord. Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And he is left blind and he's led by the sir. Wait a minute. Nobody around him saw it and nobody around him heard it. Let me pause here and tell you. Nobody else around you has to hear your revelation or see your revelation. You just got to know that Jesus has spoke to you and has told you he's going to do more with your life than what you've been doing. Thank God that 
Thank God that he looked at Saul that even when the church was afraid of him, he said that's been a sword in the enemy's hand long enough and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You know what the Lord was telling him? It's going to be hard for you to be what you've ever been. I want that kind of revelation to hit our city. You know who I want the Lord to bring into CT? I want him to bring people in that shock all of us. The kind of people that make us want to look out of the corner of our... Come on. When Saul shows up at church, it will mess with you. But when Jesus does the revealing and Jesus does the transforming, how many know that even a murderer can be saved? Even the addicted can be turned around. Even the downtrodden. Come on. He turned the persecutor into the proclaimer of the gospel. Yes, he did. And as much as everybody in this room would clap to that and say amen, because I don't think there's a person in this room that doesn't want people to be converted. If you don't, you're not a part of this kingdom at all. Kingdom of God, we want to see lives transformed, right? But I will tell you, very few of us would want to be Ananias. When the Lord says, hey, I, I got someone I want you to go pray for. Who? Who? Uh, his name is Saul of Tarsus. You ever heard, you ever known the Lord was speaking to you and you try to convince yourself it was you? <laughs> Lord, say that into my good ear. <laughs> but the Lord had already begun to work. And Ananias was going to go to Saul, that person that the church was intimidated by. Woo. How many know Saul was about to be one of the great preachers? When Ananias goes and prays for him, what happens? Scales fall off of his eyes. A great dynamic encouragement and association happens. Between a rebel and a preacher. Because once the rebel saw revelation. You know the next thing he saw after revelation was how to see a preacher clearly. <laughs> we need people that have been against church and against preachers. One of the greatest ties to revival in our city is people that have been hurt. Whether they were raised in truth or not, they were hurt and they have tied their disdain for God because of their disdain with preachers. And they've not seen a person, they've not seen spiritual leadership healthy. And they've had scales on their eyes. One of the devil's greatest tools in the world is to keep people from believing in God because they can't believe in men of God. And in that revelation and in that association and in the way that they work together, how many know that Saul, now we're going to start calling him Paul. Paul goes in and starts preaching. Now here's what I know. On the road to Damascus, 
He had letters from the high priest. Here's how I see them. Just kind of tucked in his pocket. <laughs> I rolled them up. How many, how many guys in here besides me, you get papers and you start doing this? I, I see him having them rolled up, just kind of in his pocket. Who gets a revelation of Christ with letters in their pocket against him? Anybody the Lord chooses. Can you imagine? Listen, Ananias had a good reason to not want to go pray for this dude. Can you imagine Ananias walks into the room to pray for a guy with letters in his pocket? Hey, 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 brother Saul, <laughs> I love him, I love him. He knows he could smoke him, knows he could destroy him. Just got a word from God. I, I was teasing. I said, I, I would have been that guy that would have been like, hey, Saul, how you doing, man? You good? I love you. I love your work. Well, that, not, I, I, not exactly. Come on, what was he going to say? He had nothing positive to say except for the Lord has sent me. And that's part of our issue right now. How am I going to relate with them? One way, the Lord. You know the common denominator between them and you? The Lord saved you. The Lord saved them. The Lord saved you. The Lord saved them. And with letters to Damascus for persecution, Saul gets revelation. And then not only to see the Lord, Jesus, but to see Ananias as the preacher. And then with letters in his pocket to destroy he becomes a preacher. I don't know where he put them, but I know that he had letters to destroy the people in the synagogues and to bring them into captivity. He had no problem that Stephen's blood had shed all over the dirt and that the coats of those guys were laying there at his feet. He had been threatening. He had been breathing it out, that suffering against them. He had all of the documentation. But when the Lord decides to change Saul's heart, there's a bigger purpose in mind. It was tied to his promise from Acts 1-8. I've already made up my mind there's going to be revival everywhere. He had already told his disciples, how many remember at Caesarea Philippi that I preached about a couple months ago, that place that worshipped all those gods and all those idols and all that destructive and perverse behavior. There was all kinds of idolatry and lasciviousness going on. And Jesus looked at them and said, who do men say that I am? And then he said, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter, the same one that would preach that Acts 2 message that said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said unto Peter flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee but my father which is in heaven and he would go on and tell him those words that we would so adamantly declare when he said I will build my church and the gates of hell 
The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'm going to tell you what happened just outside of Damascus. I don't know if Saul had made it 130 miles. I don't know if he had made it 132 miles. I don't know if he was somewhere between the 135th and 136th mile. But I do know that before he took his utterings and his threatenings and his persecution into Damascus, Jesus said, I let you mess with Stephen, but I'm not going to let you mess with this church. I let you mess with Jerusalem but all I was doing was letting the church be spread now I'm going to pull you like a sword out of Goliath's sheath and I'm going to put you into I'm going to put you into the hands of the David that Jesus I'm going to put you into the same David that was being preached about I'm going to put you in this same line in this same lineage and I'm going to allow you to take your persecution and start preaching it and with letters to Damascus of persecution he said wait a minute I'm going to trade in my letters for some different letters I'm going to trade in these letters for these letters and he began to preach Jesus he began to preach Jesus unto them Let me tell you what the Lord has sent me here to preach to you today. You might not have the letters of Damascus against you, but you got letters of infertility against you. You got letters of addiction against you. You got letters of cancer against you. You got letters of job loss against you. Maybe you don't have physical letters. Maybe you had a text that was letters against you. Maybe you had some stupid Facebook post that was letters against you. But you've got letters that are for you that are greater than any letter. That's been the letters that told you you were nobody when they walked out on you are not as great as the letters when Paul told the church at Corinth, You will be an epistle read of men. Come on, where are my people here today that you might have some letters against you, but you believe in the letters that are for you? How about the people that believe the letters? Now, Paul had letters from the high priest against the church. But later, Paul was going to write some letters to the church. And in one of those letters, he was going to say, I can do all, all things through who? Through Christ which strengthens me. And there are people in this room, you might be feeling like you don't have enough. But I refer you to the letters of 1 John chapter 4. You listen to me, little children, hear me, greater Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Yeah, but you don't know the doctor's report. No, but I know the great physician's report. Yeah, but you don't know the depression report from my counselor. You don't know the medicine they're trying to put me on. I know there's healing balm in this room. And I know there is power in this. Here's what I need right now. Is there anybody in this room that you at one time had a medical letter that was put against you? You were given a timeline. You were given a diagnosis. You were given a prognosis that should have said you wouldn't be here healthy like you are today. If that's you but you're here, I want you to raise your hand and wave it real high. In fact, why don't you just come down to the front if you're comfortable. If you're not, don't. But if you're you're comfortable, I want you to come down front right now because I want us to stomp on the devil's head and I want us to bear witness to the people in this building. Sister Collins, I know your report. You shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be healthy. You shouldn't be a principal according to the letters that were served in your life. But here we are. 
Come on, we got letters like that. Sister Brown, there were some letters that said you shouldn't be here healthy, worshiping God, serving this church. But the letters that were against you were not as powerful as the letters that are for you. I'm telling somebody, you got letters in this book that still say he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. You say, I'm troubled in my mind good news don't you be conformed to this world but be ye rather transformed by the renewing of your mind you say I can't get it out of my mind I say there's letters that say you can you can cast down every imagination every high thing that exalteth itself why I'll tell you why because Acts 1 8 said when you got the Holy Ghost you got the power to be a witness I want you to throw your hands towards heaven. Woo! If you're not standing and you're able, stand. Lift your hands and lift your voice. He is not in the business of failing. I'm not asking you if the road's been easy. I'm asking you if the road's been revelatory. I faced some battles, but he's been God. Come on, lift your hands. Let's wait on him. Lift your hands. Let's wait on him. Let's.